mean, my, my interest started out as academic. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, in terms of like what the scope is, I spent some time playing around the whole Los Angeles dungeon scene and have sort of seen what there is to see in terms of um, organized play and then also have kind of a background in the psychology of it. So I'm I'm here more for questions because frankly I don't know what there is to tell you depending the on scene. Yeah. Frankly, I figured there'd be more questions yeah, yeah. than I could so, so what, what, what made you get into it too? Like what? Um, what made me get into yeah. it? I mean, I phrased it as academic, and largely that was tongue in cheek. But it was sort of just like <laughs> a, a curiosity. Maybe it was too many vampire movies as a child, yeah. but. <laughs> Like, it was sort of one of those curiosities from, you know, the time I can remember. Sort of this, you know, like, odd things that people are into in terms of their, you know, sexual proclivities. Um, but I guess there was the eyebrows raised at dungeon scenes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, there are these things called dungeons, and they're for real. Not, like, in just medieval castles. But it's a place where there is organized uh, sadomasochistic play that goes on. And they can range from being largely just bars that have, you know, um, sort of a component of fetishistic elements to full-on, you know, sex clubs. And there's sort of the range in between. And uh, generally what happens there is there's usually some element of, like, furniture that's specifically designed for the purpose of... Uh, torture <laughs> or restraint and people will use it as part of sort of the entertainment of the evening the way that you would go and see bands play at a regular you know mm. club there's sort of the entertainment of the evening is just BDSM. so is it sorry is it like an audience and then like performer or is it like everyone is involved it depends on the club itself some of them are more organized and more artistic in their leanings and it tends to be uh, more ritualized. Some of them actually go into the fine arts territory, which is what I study now. And you have people like Brenda B or Ron Athey who are fine artists who happen to work in the area of uh, body modification and uh, sort of within the ritual aspects of sadomasochism. Or you also have things just like uh, I went one time and observed this this whole like sort of S and M sex club, which was something that I was like not frankly not prepared for. <laughs> Um, in San Francisco where people were literally just having sex next to me. <laughs> sort of like looking over and being like, oh, what's up? <laughs> um, but, and it can go anywhere in between. So there can be any range of actual audience participation. But generally it's, there's someone who is hired for the evening as a professional dominatrix or dominant. And then there is a certain amount of audience participation that happens from there. So there is the equipment and you know the professional and then Generally, people trickle in as the night goes on. Yes? Uh, have you ever seen it, or does it ever feel unsafe, in that you're like getting with strangers and there are all kinds of weaponry? <laughs> Actually, that's, or, that's the thing that really should be the first question, and I have to say, I have never actually found myself in a scene that was not unsafe, and generally that's what they're called. They're just not, unsafe. Unsafe. Not, unsafe. Not, not unsafe. Not, not you know, Meaning that safe. it was, yeah, exactly, double okay. negative, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But no, actually, people who are into this stuff are really safety conscious. I have found that, and also, yeah. kind of, dorks. So that really goes well for the safety aspect. <laughs> but, and I count myself.
love among them is, you know, people who are into this stuff have a real active fantasy life and tend to be not only really hyper-specific in terms of what they want to see, but also how they want it done. Mm. And more than anything, they want a not trouble from anyone else because there are a lot of states, and California included, where this is not entirely legal. So if you get caught by the cops doing this, despite the fact that there are S&M clubs across California and in Los Angeles, you could be charged with assault, not just for the act itself, but for every different weapon you use. And depending on the dominatrix that you talk to, that can carry a really hefty penalty. So you can be charged with separate assault counts. So, so uh, okay, so two follow-up questions to that. Sure. One, one, you talked a little bit, like a little bit about the demographics. So I'd like to hear about that. Sure. But also, like, is there, is there also like an element of like you're doing it wrong? Like, <laughs> like no, it's like there's like, is there, like it seems like there's like a very specific like like a critique. Like that's not what I'm looking. At. It's, that's not what I wanted to see. Or right. like, I see what you're saying. And generally, there are certain. I guess I'm gonna call them tropes for the like purposes of the discussion that are really basic to you know a, a fully functioning working scene that you will you know go out and see and uh, generally there's some element of um, power play yep. within a couple and that's sort of what you expect to see but uh, and there generally generally be some sort of either masochistic or sadistic element to it generally they go hand in hand um, you hope and uh, frequently there's some element of restraint, but not always. Actually, that's the one that tends to be, you know, on the line. But in terms of you're doing it wrong, when you're watching, when you're watching someone else do sort of their thing at one of these clubs, it's more, you have to take it as they're acting out their fantasies, and you viewing it is included within their fantasy. Yeah. And there's a certain, like, exhibitionistic thrill that you know that they are getting from it and a certain voyeuristic thrill that you are taking from it. And so to judge them as like, oh, you're doing it wrong, unless someone is doing something unsafely, is generally pretty uncommon. And uh. again, I have to say, it's pretty infrequently that you see someone doing it just wrong in an unsafe manner. Um, and in terms of demographics, actually, that's, that's one of the things that I found really interesting. I found the number one job when I would ask people what they did, you know, outside of going to clubs at, you know, 2 a.m., dressed in nothing but their skivvies, was computer programmer for the uh, <laughs> And <laughs> didn't mean to call you out there, sorry. <laughs> but um, by and large, the demographics are, most of the people at any of these clubs at a given time are white men. And generally above the age of 25. It can be 25 to about, 45, and then you just start to get into creep territory, and they tend to get sort of pushed out by everyone else that's there. Um, oh, well, is there a certain psychological profile that you know about? A certain psychological? How do you mean? Can you like, I mean, have, have, I don't know. How many catch the killer? Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, if any studies been done about um, if there's any trends with, like, um, perhaps, like, sexual abuse or anything like that. In terms of, I mean, I've read some of the studies that have been done, and long-term... Uh, I haven't read anything that conclusively says that there is a link between sexual abuse and being interested in S&M. Generally, it's sort of just part of the wiring, especially with things like power play. In every relationship, there's a certain amount of power play, whether or not the participants are willing to admit it. It can be 
something as simple as who drives the car on any given day of the week. And it can be you know, more organized as to who's on top in the bedroom. But generally, there is some element of someone in a relationship is dominant, and the other one is slightly more submissive. And that's how we find balance within relationships. And really, S&M is just sort of like a hyper-expression of those natural tendencies. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you, you said a lot of people are like a lot of them are like programmers and have like nerdy types. Um, do you think there's any sort of connection with sort of like the stereotypical like meek nerdy programmer guy kind of like acting out their more dominant role in in this environment or like you trying know, to get to express themselves that way? I've considered it, and I don't know that I would phrase it that way, but I do think there's something to be said for people who are. I don't mean this as like a criticism, but the best way to say it is sort of late bloomers, like tend to, people who find themselves later in life or find that they have power in a certain area and have a certain amount of confidence within it can find a way to express it, not just in their job. Because the thing is with computer programmers is it's a, it's a great market to have a really successful career, especially in this day and age. So you're looking at a lot of successful professionals who are self-sufficient and have not only extra time, but extra money to invest in what amounts to be a rather expensive hobby. I don't know, I mean, the gear that goes into a lot of this can be quite pricey. But, um, so I look at it more as these are people who have large disposable incomes and who finally come to understand the amount of power that they can hold within a relationship because maybe they didn't understand that before. So I don't know that it's necessarily a matter of nerdy types acting out some sort of revenge fantasy. Well, not revenge, but just kind of like assuming power in an environment where they get to assume power. Sure. I mean, I think that anyone who gets drawn to it, there's also the converse aspect, this right. like uh, this businessman who likes to go and get beat up on his free time. Yeah. It's everyone finds a certain amount of balance within our life, so there's a reason that those stereotypes exist. People who are you know, uh, hyper-responsible within their business life may like to, on their off times, be the one that is not in power. Mm-hmm. And the same goes the opposite way. So, I mean, really, the one thing that I can probably distill from the speech is that it's all of this is a matter of hyperactive imagination and a balancing act. And, you know, there's nothing necessarily taboo about any of that. We all do it day to day. You were saying about people who are maybe acting inappropriately getting chewed out. Yes. How does that, who's the shooter? Um, How does does the, how is this? Generally, there is a really well-structured hierarchy within any of these sort of, um, set up club situations, because there is generally someone who is hired for an evening as a dominant or a dominatrix as part of the club atmosphere. And they're tasked with not only providing entertainment, but sort of keeping an eye on things. And if they think that someone is either high or drunk, or, I mean, there is actually no drinking involved in scenes. It's considered bad form and very unsafe, because you have trouble judging how much uh, pain you can take if you're drunk. So you can get yourself into really dangerous situations very quickly. So they generally are the ones who will do the, you know, shooting if there needs to be some. But it can also be from the bottom up. If someone sees unsafe behavior, no one's going to play with that person. So it makes it very easy for them to just move on. So it's really, uh, there is a hypervigilance within the community because it is sort of on the fringes and there is no um, policing aside from themselves. It strikes me from what you're saying that with a 25 to 45-year-old computer programming uh-huh. white male, uh, that uh, computer programming, I don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a computer programmer, 
uh, is very non-social uh, life. Mm. And this seems like a very hyper, bizarre social. It seems very in the balancing act of that. Just, I'd be curious to know, like she said, what, what other types of professions, and also, is it strictly heterosexual, or do you find it to be, uh, hom have you seen homosexual um, and other? Oh no, heterosexual is, I would say, a, a about half. Really, it's most people are not straight heterosexual. No one really categorizes themselves as just straight. If you get into this lifestyle, you are open-minded to some degree. It's unusual that I find someone who is rigidly like heterosexual when they talk about this. And so do they attend as couples or with friends or alone? It depends. Okay. It very much depends on the place that you go, what kind of demographic you will see. But a lot of the places where there is public play, you tend to see a lot of people who are into the polyamorous lifestyle, which is a whole other lecture, and, uh, but also people who are gay, straight, bisexual, sort of anyone who's up for anything is who shows up for these like groups, exhibitionist types of you know, play. So. Could, could you talk about like, the, the, the difference between like, physical play and, and, uh, and like psychological? psychological play? Talk about it really slow. <laughs> <laughs> How about I talk I about it? Really yeah. And you and I can talk later. <laughs> That's my boyfriend, by the way. So in terms of uh, in terms of a physical play, the things that you'll tend to see are are things like impact play, and that's okay. sort of like a, a an overarching anything where there is like. It can be from spanking to paddling or flogging or even using a bullwhip, which takes some <laughs> amount of special skill, um, and, as well as caning. And then you have things like, um, you, one of the more fringe aspects can be blood play, where you actually will draw blood. That's generally not done in um, any sort of public scene because it's considered unsafe, but plenty of people practice this in there. Uh, you know, at home relationships. And uh, then there is the psychological aspect. I'm sure I'm glossing over other kinds Wait, of physical play. Have you seen blood play? play? Have you seen that? Um, I've seen <laughs> some knife exactly. play that doesn't actually draw blood, where it's much more of a psychological threat. Um, and generally, uh, again, I know you make the oh god face of like, <laughs> that seems really, really on the fringe. But the thing to remember about a lot of these. Uh, setups is that they're agreed upon ahead of time and also there are safe words and limits set before anything goes down. So everyone knows what's about to happen and there are no surprises in terms of uh, a scene that's you know done in public. And then in terms of the psychological play, it can be, I mean really that's where you can get super creative. Like, I think that there's really only a certain amount of physical stuff that you can do to another person. Right. After a certain point, there are only so many times that you can spank them, and it's really that exciting. But you can really get hyper-creative in terms of what you say to another person in order to elicit certain reactions. And by creating sort of these structures of hierarchy within a relationship, that's where sort of the thrill lies for a lot of people within the scene. And... It can be something as simple as, um, I saw one scene where a girl was supposed to sit on her knees while the rest of, there was another impact play scene going on, and she was just supposed to hold these two, like they were 
kind of, they might have been salt and pepper shakers from the table in her hands and she was not supposed to drop them. Now the thing was, the scene went on for 25 minutes. Oof. And after a certain point, even salt shakers get heavy. So of course, eventually she drops them. And that set about a whole chain of events that was not so much physical as it was psychological. The concept of breaking rules, even when you are given an expectation where there is no possible way that you can fulfill it, uh, creates a tension within that relationship that can make really interesting things happen. So there is a lot of emphasis on rules mm. and hierarchy and dominance within the psychological play. So even in the public, in the public space, there's this, it's not just physical. Oh no, not at all. In fact, I would say that like 90% of it is psychological. At least that's where it, what makes it more interesting. If it were all just physical, I mean, it turns out just, you know, if you're watching someone get beat up, then I don't know where the fun in that is. But it's really, it's watching the psychological play between the players that becomes really interesting. Not just, I mean, like maybe I'm just a pervert, but on a like academic psychological level, it's fascinating. All right, that's, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs>